Those who seek the truth will find it. And when they find the truth, they find God. God has revealed himself through his creation as well as his word. Romans chapter 1 verse 20, God describes the fact that all mankind can find him through what he has created, the creation. Therefore, they are without excuse. It's easy to believe the lies. Our culture, indeed our entire world, is saturated with lies because Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and that's according to John chapter 8, verse 44. The great deceiver, deception. People believe lies because they want to believe the lies. They're more comfortable with lies. However, God holds us all responsible for what we accept and what we reject. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That is a promise. We also find in John chapter 17, verse 17, what truth is. Christ said, Sanctify them in truth, for your word is truth. We have the privilege this morning to partake of the communion the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, all terms referring to that same ritual. And this ritual teaches truth. The two elements are unleavened bread and the cup. The unleavened bread speaks of Christ's perfect humanity, sinless. Why is that important? It teaches us that we have a righteous and just God that can do nothing but judge sin. He's not an old softy that will wink at sin, overlook things. We also see through the unleavened bread that even though Christ was perfect, we are not. And so a just and righteous God demands justice, which puts us, as they say, behind the eight ball. We have a big problem, or we had a big problem, and that's the fact that we are hopelessly sinful. No one can save themselves. That's the big lie. So we had to have someone who was sinless and perfect to pay the price because God does not overlook anything with regarding to sin and wrongdoing. And that then focuses on the solution. The solution, the Lord Jesus Christ and the cup. The solution is the fact that Jesus Christ became man the unique one of the universe, the God-man. 
And he did this for a purpose, not to come down and just show us how to live and be a good example. He had a mission to get to the cross, voluntarily taking upon himself your sins and my sins. Now, the lie is that we don't really need the cross, or if we do need it, that's okay, but we need to add things to it. We have to contribute to our own salvation, which, of course, mankind has wholesale bought that idea. The masses around the world think that they can do something in order to be accepted by God. We call it religion. And it is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Now the cup speaks of the one and only atonement that God the Father will accept. That atonement was accomplished in completion on the cross. As Christ was on the cross after he had received the imputation of all of our sins, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Can't add anything to it. In fact, the only way that anyone is able to be accepted by God is through accepting the free gift that is offered through that atonement. Now, anyone that says, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that he went to the cross and paid for my sins, and then you wait, you're listening for it, but, but you also have to be baptized. You also have to be confirmed. You also have to be a good person. You also have to go to church. You also have to do on and on and on. God is righteous. In his eyes, the best that we have to offer, which we call human good, is looked upon as filthy rags. We have to recognize that it's only taken as a gift. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But people want to do something. They want to take credit. They're very proud of the sacrifices they have made rather than accepting the sacrifice that Jesus Christ provided on their behalf. So you see, as we partake of these things, it's teaching us about truth. There are so many lies today. Universalism. Everyone goes to heaven when they die. You probably know people who believe that. Also, we have the lies that you can do something. You can work your way to heaven. When you partake of this bread, it is a high privilege and honor to publicly demonstrate that you have accepted Jesus Christ's atonement, that he was qualified and you are not to provide for your own salvation. And I'm glad we're able to do it publicly. When you partake of that cup, it is an outward manifestation that you are not trusting anything within yourself. 
Anything that you can think, say, or do. Actually, it's a response. You are responding to what Jesus Christ has already provided. And it's a huge thank you. I'm so glad that we have this. That Well, we have it because Jesus Christ ordained it. He said to keep on doing this until I come. And it focuses on who and what he is. We just came through a busy season, did we not? How many details did you have to take care of? And now we start a new year and everybody kind of sighs, thinking that surely it will be easier this time. Yeah, I know it's laughable, isn't it? Or I'm going to do better this time. And what the Lord's Supper does is just brush away all the nonsense and fork forces us to focus on what is really important. And what is important in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God is designed for us to learn to think the way that He thinks. God does not want us to go through life fearful, worried. He has given us the abundant life. And it all starts with the truth that this ritual portrays. Anyone can eat. Anyone can drink. Anyone can believe in Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was for everyone. Every person. And no one deserves it. You don't have to be a member of this church in order to partake of the elements. The only thing that is required, actually there's two things that are required. First of all, you need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or else this will be ritual without reality. And there's enough of that going on already. Furthermore, you have to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That means filled with the Holy Spirit. God is so awesome that we can't even begin to understand spiritual phenomenon apart from His aid and His help. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to understand the spiritual things, things of God. And so if you have sin lurking about in your soul that is unconfessed, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to understand all the spiritual things that we're going to go over today and you will be distracted. God takes this very seriously. Y'all know in 1 Corinthians where the early church, there were members who did not partake of it reverently. They would scarf down everything they could, try to ignore others, were irreverent, and they paid the price. Some were sick, some even died. So we have a few moments of silent prayer before we begin. To clear the decks in your soul. So this will be indeed meaningful to you. We are the royal family of God assembled together, all focusing on Jesus Christ. 
What an awesome thought. But are you able to focus? Well, to ensure that you are, we'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you have commanded us to set this time aside to focus completely and entirely upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you will flood our souls with the, do with the doctrines of Christology and soteriology, all those wonderful things that we have learned so that we can properly appreciate who he is. And we pray this in his name. Amen. It is our custom to retain the bread until all have been served. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripe we are healed. Evening before our Lord was crucified, he took the bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and said, This is my body that is given for you. Take and eat thereof. Again, Father, as we pause to partake of the cup, we thank you for this opportunity to do so. Pray that you'll help us to concentrate and focus. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It's our custom to retain the cup until all have been served. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. And he, God the Father, has laid upon him, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. God demonstrated his love for us in that Christ died as a substitute for us while we were yet sinners. On that same occasion, our Lord took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. We will stand and sing hymn number 258. Softly on the third verse. Crescendo on the fourth verse. Let us stand as we sing. Please open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, verse 12.
Joshua chapter 1, verse 12. One thing that makes the Bible so believable are verses like these. Now you might say, well, what are you talking about? Well, God had directed the people to cross the river and go to the land, the promised land, the land that He had chosen for them. And yet, two and a half tribes decided, yeah, but can we stay on the other side of the river? Isn't that like life? I mean, isn't that typical? And that's what we see in these verses. There, there was a provision that these people, it was the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, wanted to stay on the east side of the river because they were raising cattle and there was a lot of grass there. I personally think that they had a lot of nerve to go to Moses and even ask this. That's one thing that strikes me as I go through the Bible is the graciousness and long-suffering of God because He has a perfect plan and people always... Uh, it, 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 if you've ever made plans or tried to, to have a function, whatever, you always have somebody... Well, yeah, but can we do this? Can we do that? And it's no, that's because the world is populated with people. And that's going to happen. So you can either follow me up here on the board or in your Bibles. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross before your brothers in battle array all of your violent warriors and shall help them. Now, they went to Moses. This had already been decided. And Moses went to God. God, is this okay? These these guys over here decided they don't want to cross the land. They want the land on this side. God approved it, and Moses approved it. However, with the provision that when the rest of their brothers, the other tribes, went across to take the land and do battle with the Canaanites and all the heathens there, that they would go with them. And what we have is Joshua is bringing this up and reminding them of this. Verse 15. You shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest and he gives you, as he gives you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess, possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. That would be towards the east. So, I think this is clear in itself. It wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be just for them to say, well, we're going to get the land on this side. Uh, these people on the other side of the river aren't bothering us, so we won't bother them. We'll just let... Our brethren take care of that. Well, that's not going to happen. And so they agreed to it. Joshua is holding them to it. And they did go across and help their brethren. Before we just pass on, I want to make a few observations as we, before we leave this. 
First of all, unity is very important. Unity for those who are in Christ. You know one reason that the Canaanites and all these tribes were conquered? Well, of course, it was God that was doing the battle and uh, uh, fighting. However, there is also a principle here. They were not united. They were city-states. And all these different cities, uh, Jericho and Ai and all the rest of them, if they would have united and concentrated their forces, humanly speaking, they could have conquered the Israelites. But they didn't do that. Now, the reason I'm speaking of that is because when these tribes stayed on the other side of the river, there was a dividing, a literal physical division, which was the Jordan River. And it caused problems. You don't see the problem until you get to chapter 22. But after they had gone in, and by the way, they were the shock troops. They went first. Moses says, if you want to do this, then you're going to not only have to go over and take the land, you're on the front, you're the first, you're the front of the front line, which they agreed to. But when they were coming back, they were going to cross the river back over to take their lands. They did a really stupid thing. They erected an altar there, and the reason they did it is, well, Actually, more than one reason. One is they didn't want anyone to forget that they went over there also and was going to take care of business. But also that all the tribes on the west side of the Jordan wouldn't forget about them, that they were still their brethren. And what happened was this incensed the tribes that did cross the river on the west side. They were ready to go to war with them over this. So what I'm showing you is that unity is important. And there was a natural division, the Jordan River, but they did something to exacerbate the situation. It was worse because they did this thing. And they sent a party and they were able to arbitrate and they were able to not go into war with each other over this, but still you have a problem with a lack of unity. Churches need to have unity. We all need to be like-minded. We all need to stand firm for the faith. When churches start to lose their unity, which is focused around the Word of God, they're in trouble because the first thing they do is start seeing each other as the enemy. They start sniping at each other. Same thing holds true for families. Families need to be united. They need a leader. God has designated the husband, the father, as the leader. The husbands and fathers need to take a page out of Joshua's book, out of the Bible itself, to be strong and courageous. Not depending on their own devices, but depending upon the Lord. I think churches and families need to pray that they stand united behind Christ. The same thing is true with nations. Nations need to be united. 
were called the United States of America. How united are we these days? How united are we in Christ these days? So there's something more than just what is meeting the surface here. Uh, there were problems once they decided to get on, get get to the uh, stay on the same side. And let's just get down here to this is verse. 16, 17, and 18. If you're wondering what the red is, that's where we left off last time. That's my marker. So, Joshua, chapter 1. <coughs> Pardon? Oh, I don't have it up there. Okay, thank you. They've got a big mirror up there for me to notice that. You see how much good it does? Sometimes it does, most of the time it doesn't. Jo uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. They answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command... And does not obey your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This may sound familiar that all you say we will do, because the generation before this generation said the same thing when God gave Moses the law, and on Mount Sinai they were receiving the law, they were saying the same thing. We will obey. We will do everything that you say. Well, right. What a difference between the generation in verse 16 and the first generation that constantly murmured, complained, and challenged Moses' authority. And we have Numbers 12, 1 through 16, Exodus 17, 1 through 7, Numbers 20, 1 through 5. Some of you are familiar with the Hebrew term Meribah. Meribah means chiding and complaining and just being a jerk. The Israelites said, we will do everything the Lord has said and we will obey. This is Exodus 24, 3 and 7. Yet within a very short time, Aaron was leading the people in building a golden calf. Short memory. What I'm saying, it's easy to give lip service to authority. It's easy to say, oh, yes, I'll obey. Everything is cool. But what happens over the long haul is different. It's much easier to profess obedience than to be obedient. Do we have an agreement on that, everybody? Even when one is sincere, it's not that easy. It's not uncommon for people to challenge authority over time. Moses' own sister and brother challenged his authority. Turn to Numbers chapter 12.
his older brother and his younger daughter, of all people, are going to challenge Moses' authority. So we go to Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. You might underline that word spoke. It's dabar, D-A-B-A-R in the Hebrew. It just happens to be feminine. I just am telling you, that's all. Make of it what you will. Oh, remember, we've got to stay united. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Family disharmony. What happens when family members marry? A lot of times other family members criticize. Usually it's the parents. There is no person on earth that is worthy of my darling, darling daughter. Or it could be the son, whatever. And it, it can create disharmony. If you want to, just as a side note, you don't have to do it, but this would be a good place to, in the margin, just put, mind your own business. So they got off on a bad start criticizing who Moses married. And I don't know, I probably, maybe I shouldn't go beyond what the text says, but I think that was probably Miriam was the driving force behind this. Because Moses gave her attention. She was the fair-haired child, the, 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 the female of the bunch, and now another female enters. And he's a Cushite. Well, we'll just press on. You got the point. Um, verse 2. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Question mark. Do you think they were just trying to gather information? <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? What the serpent said to Eve? Has God not said that you shall eat of certain things? You know, it, it, what it does is conjure up something negative. It's a ma manipulation technique. Because they're not looking for information, they're setting him up. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? The indeed. The suggestion is, first of all, did he do it? And if he did, is that fair? That he would just choose one man out of all these millions, one man, my brother, to speak? What about us? That's what's coming next. Has he not spoken through us as well? Look at this and underline this. And the Lord heard it. <laughs> the next time you're criticizing, the next time you're manipulating someone, setting them up, just remember this. The Lord hears it. Verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Here you have 
the one that is in charge. I mean, Moses was the head cheese under the Lord in Moses. I mean, in uh, Israel. And yet he was the most humble man. You think that might be one of the reasons that God chose him? Verse 4. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of the meeting. So the three of them came out. Now the tent of the meeting is the tabernacle. Do you, do you imagine that maybe they kind of had a, a large gulp in there when they heard this? They were being called to the office. I know what that's like. It's not fun. Verse 5, Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they had both come forward. Now, this is when it really gets, gets tense. All three of them were there. Moses is there just as a witness. Have you ever seen any? There's some of these shows. Uh, one of them is Hell's Kitchen. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't know whether I'd recommend it, but it does illustrate a point here. Ever, sometimes somebody has to go. Every week, whoever doesn't cook good, has to, one of them's got to leave. They burn up their apron or do something. Anyway, they're all standing there. And he says, okay, you blue team, they have a blue and a red team. The blue team lost. You didn't cook as well. Now I've got to choose someone to get rid of. And he says, Henry and Joan, step forward. And that's when they just... I think it's the same thing in American Idol. Uh, they'll choose certain ones to stand forward. Uh, there, was what, there was a dance show, uh, Who Can Dance, or something about stars dancing. And it was the same thing, uh, step forward. You don't like to step forward. You'd rather just kind of blend into the wall or something. Now, God comes down in a cloud, and he speaks to them. Aaron and Miriam, come forward. <laughs> I believe they already had a little regret, maybe. I don't know. And this is what he says. He said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Now, this is what is behind this, between the lines. He's saying, did you get a vision? Did you get a dream? Did you get something from me that I'm not aware of? Of course, I say that tongue-in-cheek. He is about to lower the boom on them. Verse 7. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you afraid... Why are you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So, Moses is special. He didn't go through dreams or visions and all these things. He spoke directly to Moses. And Moses saw the fashion, uh, you could say the back parts of the Lord pass between him. And he saw a little bit more than what most people see. And the Lord is making a point. I didn't give you a vision. I didn't give you a dream. 
Moses especially, are you questioning what I'm doing? Do you see that's what they're doing? They're questioning the Lord. They didn't like the way the Lord was doing business. And so they confronted Moses, but the problem was the Lord heard it. Verse 9. So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous as white as snow. As Aaron turned towards Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Now, let me tell you something. This would send shock to us, to anyone in the time when leprosy was still prevalent. It was the worst that you could get. And it was incurable. You couldn't even stay. They would put you out in a leper colony. Your entire life would change. This would be worth, worse than death. Can you, especially a woman. I mean, a woman cares more about how she looks than men, usually. I mean, I go for days and I never even see myself in a mirror. It's okay with me. That's when I'm at home. When I leave, Carrie says it's a good idea to comb my hair, what I have of it. But you, know, you see what I'm talking about? This, this is a horrible, horrible penalty that she's facing here. Then Aaron said to Moses, O oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, now we have a little humility. Fine. Look what it took. And who are they going to? Moses, the very one that they were trying to undermine his authority. They were trying to bring him down, and now they're going to him... Moses, can you help? And we see the humility of Moses. We see the great love and capacity of Moses. Because he could have said, ah, well, you know, God did it. I didn't do it. Talk to him. Isn't that what some people would do? But not Moses. Verse 12. Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O oh God, heal her, I pray. So he's praying for someone who has just tried to, to hurt him in a big way. A lot to learn from this, isn't it? Look how fast he was to forgive. But he didn't forgive until, first of all, there was what? Humility. They acknowledged that they had sinned. Verse 14. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not bear the shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may be received again. Now the Lord is going to answer Moses' request, but there still is a price to pay. Note that. Don't miss it. She's going to be forgiven. She had humility but she's going to get another dose of humility. She's going to have to stand outside the camp for seven days. Everyone's going to know what happened. And she's going to have to go back and face them. But she's not going to have leprosy. Grace. The point that I'm making here 
is the same point that God is making here in Numbers chapter 12. God takes those that he delegates authority to very seriously. And when you start to try to undermine, undermine authority that God has delegated, you are on very thin ice. Verse 15, so Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So for seven days they couldn't move because of Miriam. I wonder how Miriam was when she came out of this temporary exile. Was she, was she shy? Did she try to not be around people because of her shame? Or was she thankful not to have leprosy? When we receive discipline, we are to recognize that it is for our own good. It comes from God's grace. Just like a physician, sometimes he has to give pain in order to set a bone. But it has to be set or else things will get worse. God is the same way. There's much here, isn't it? Hopefully, Miriam came back in with her head high, recognizing that she sinned. All of us are sinners. And grateful that God is gracious and didn't take her out, which he could have done. You need to teach this to your young people. Where's Mary? You can go ahead with your staff and start uh, preparing over there. But I'm going to end with this story to illustrate a point that I just made. This was an experience that happened right here in this church. And it illustrates how important it is when someone is rebuked, when someone receives discipline, that they take it as unto the Lord and that they don't rebel, hide, and continue to be arrogant, which can happen. Probably 17 years ago, we didn't used to have the overhead it says don't rattle your keys and don't talk and don't bother others and so forth i would actually make a statement before we began i said uh, we have to give proper respect to the word of god and that means don't talk and don't fiddle around don't yawn none of these other things i said yawn because you can distract other people with a yawn now everybody has to yawn sometimes but if you yawn and you just kind of like this, it's all right. But when you, like this, that's what I was talking about. And there was a girl, teenager, sitting right probably next to where George is sitting over here. And up four times, one of these, the fifth time she did it, before I could even think or anything, I said, young lady, you were told to cover your mouth when you yawn so you won't disturb others. That's all I said. And then I went on. 
within 10 seconds, she was going like this. She was crying. And unfortunately, I was getting looks from the rest of the people that could kill. <laughs> you mean old bully picking on her. So fortunately, there was only about five minutes left in the service. And as soon as the service was over, they were about to leave, and I told one of the deacons, catch them and tell them I want to talk to them back in the junior class. The junior class used to be in the, over that area. And so I went in, and she was there with her parents, and I sat them down. And I explained. I said, you know, I wasn't trying to bully, but I said, when I speak and give direction, if I don't enforce it, then I'm going to lose respect. I can't maintain authority if I ignore people who very openly defy it. And I said, I hope I have your um, agreement with that. Oh, yes, and we're so sorry that she was uh, yawning that way. And she told me, yes, Pastor Smith, I'm sorry that I yawned and distracted people. No problem. I said, then we're all on the same page. All is well, right? Right. Okay, so they left. I never saw them again. Ever. Now, I'm not a mind reader, and I can't tell the future, but I, I do know people. I strongly believe, I, I, I strongly, I should say, suspect that when they got in the car, that teenager told them, I've never been so embarrassed in all my life. I will never darken that, the door of that church again. And the parents submitted to that. And they lost a wonderful teaching aid. They could have said, daughter, you know, we all mess up. We all sin. And the best thing that you can do is go to church next Sunday, stroll in there with your head held high and sit down because you're just like the rest of them. You're a sinner. And you're going to mess up from time to time and you need to face the music. But rather than come back here and learn that lesson and continue to get doctrine, I don't know where they are. I'm saying this with reference to Miriam when she came back to the camp. When you are rebuked, take it in stride. Take it as unto the Lord. He's trying to teach you something. And to think that you're an outcast and you can't bear the shame is focusing on self and it's not humble. So, we get two lessons out of one incident there. That is, God takes the challenging of his delegated authority very seriously. And if you're guilty of something, whatever it may be, take your lumps and move on. Acknowledge it to the Lord and then move on. Now, I want everyone, please, bow your heads. I ask you to do that because I don't know everyone here. You pretty much already got the gospel this morning. You heard it. Now the question is, do you accept it? I'm forcing the issue. 
You have the opportunity right now, while it's still fresh in your mind, if you have not accepted Christ and His atonement rather than your own suffering and works that you're trying to gain the approbation and salvation of God, this is your time to do something about it. What is required of you? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid for your sins on the cross. He died, He was buried and rose from the grave. And now He's offering eternal life to you for simply accepting what He has already done. And in that moment, you're born again. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. And the issue now is what are you going to do with the time that's left? That's where we were going next in Joshua when we ran out of time. But first of all, you have to cross the river. First of all, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You can do it simply by acknowledging in your own soul that Jesus Christ paid for your sins and you're accepting who and what He is. Now, Father, thank You for the time that we've spent here focusing on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that You'll help us to do that every single day, every minute of every day, that we will live our life in a way that will be pleasing to Him and we recognize we can't do that in ignorance. So we pray that You will motivate us to continue to grow in grace and knowledge and to be good ambassadors for Christ so that we will be able to give Him proper appreciation. And we pray this in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.